Hi everyone, it's Joachim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast. A podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. I've got Ethan Levy back on the podcast, and he wanted to ask me about startup valuations. What's all the terminology around the topic? How to prepare for a fundraise with a valuation in mind? and how investors and founders can think about the right valuation for a startup. But before we go to the episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Fabro, a new tool for collaborative planning that more and more game studios are starting to use. It was created by game industry veterans to help studios doing frequent live drops of features and content to get development, marketing, and other teams in sync. Check it out. There's a free trial at favro.com. And if you use the promo code ELITEGAMEDEVFABRO, you're going to get a 25% discount on your purchase. That's favro.com. All the developers out there that are looking for an easy game server auto-scaling solution should definitely check out GameEye. Choosing GameEye means choosing your players as GameEye is a platform independent solution. Game sessions are spread out over multiple providers to ensure redundancy and to achieve the best possible coverage in every region of the world. GameEye is your one-stop shop for all your server orchestration needs. They have many integrations already in place, ready to go. You also can connect to your favorite matchmaker, anti-cheat solution or network optimization tool to their orchestrator and start running game sessions. They provide the APIs for this. Take advantage of automated capacity management and always have resources to run game sessions. Scale when you need it in locations close to your players. Check out GameEye.com, that's GameYE.com, to see what they're up to and to connect with them. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com. All right, we're live. Hey, Ethan, you're back on the show, it seems. <laughs> oh, yeah, great. Thanks thanks for having me back. I uh I really enjoy uh, the chance I'm going to get today to uh, uh, turn the tables on you and ask ask the experts some of the questions that I bet uh, your listeners and the audience have as they listen along. Um, yeah, man, let's do it. Let's do it. Great. Um, today, I want to take the opportunity to learn about something I, I have no personal experience with, uh, and that's what goes into valuations for early stage startups. Um, like we covered in our Founder Idea Fit episode, my, I have one failed attempt at co-founding a game company and it never made it past the bootstrap phase. And, uh, you know, now when I'm working on the publishing side for network scale platform, you know, we're, we're way past the initial funding stage. It doesn't matter to us how a company is funded, just whether it has the sort of retention and monetization metrics that can scale. So I personally haven't had the privilege of having what I can assume is, is a fail, fairly awkward conversation about like, how, how much am I worth? Um, Mm. so I, I appreciate that you've let me come on the show and, uh, turn the tables on you and and learn what goes into valuations for early stage startups. Yeah, man, this is a really good topic. It's, it's really good that you, you sort of like brought this up and, uh, yep. So the, the whole idea of evaluating the worth of a company, it's never easy, but sort of like all of us are constantly seeing these gaming companies getting bought. Like this is such a heated time in the market. This right, like whatever is happening, um, 
So I thought that this this idea, like if when you said let's do it, that this is a really good idea because it is actually something that people don't really know. I didn't know about like how I'd evaluate my company when I was starting uh, back in 2005 with my first company. So like, mm. yeah, even these people who are selling the companies, they're probably learning it at this like right. stage, most of them, like how to evaluate the company's value. So it's be it there at this very early stage of starting, like I was in 2005, or that you're already making a lot of money. How do you, how do you do the valuation work there either? Yeah. And I bet, I bet there are a lot of founders who've, you know, had that full success arc and years later, they've had their exit and they're, they're probably haunted by decisions that they made six years, eight years ago d- yep. due to a lack of knowledge when, when doing their first uh, evalu- uh, valuations and, and fundraising rounds. So um, yeah. let's, let's uh, educate all those developers out there. So f- first, let's just start with the basics. Uh, what mm. is a company's valuation? And other than making you feel cool about your fledgling company's worth, why is this number important? Yeah, well. Let's first talk about uh, kind of like the value of the startup at this very, like an early stage. So like evaluation for these these startups is usually used to determine the value of the company when you're fundraising, uh, like based on like giving equity to the Mm -hmm. investors. So let's say you're raising $100,000 euros, whatnot. Let's, Let's just talk about dollars. And then then with that sum of the money that the, the investor puts into the company, they're going to get a piece of your company in equity. So you'll end up giving out a certain percentage of the company depending on evaluation. Uh, so you might end up giving 10% of the company for that 100000 or 5% or whatever. But all that depends on an agreed valuation between you founders and these investors. So like, Let's just expand on this terminology of the valuation. Right. Um, like oftentimes you can can hear these things like pre-money valuation, post-money mm-hmm. valuation. So the difference there is that like when you when you're talking about pre-money valuation, that is the worth of the company before the fundraise is executed. Uh, and a post-money valuation is is that it basically the same worth of the company before the valuation but it includes the money that was raised. So you might be a, a million dollar pre-money company that raises 100K and you go up to 1.1 million as a post-money valuation. So okay. I, I think to be clear, like with this, uh, I'll expand a bit here with this kind of like, because there's a lot of confusion here. A lot of people go and just talk about valuation. But, and you don't uh, know whether they're talking pre or post-money. Yeah, exactly. And that, that really like can can really like create a lot of harm and unnecessary sort of like, you know, like waking up in the night and screaming about this mistake that you did. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like, um, but I like to stand on this example that I was just giving about this 100K that you're raising. So let's say that you have the pre-money of 1 million, that you've stated that our pre-money is 1 million. Okay, that's fine. Uh, And you raise that 100K and then the post money is 1.1. In this, this sort of like environment, that would mean that the investor got 9.1 out of the company because you can then divide uh, that their, their sort of mm. like contribution to the company was out of uh, this 1.1 million, which is the, the new valuation. They put in 100K, so it's 9.1%. But let's say that you actually didn't specify it clearly enough or that the investor got it in a sense that you were actually talking about post money all along, which would be 1 million. Then it means that you actually, your company's pre-money was 900,000 and you end up in a situation where the investor gets 10% versus this one, uh, 9.1. Right. And that's that, a huge that's difference. It's like 1% is a big difference really at this, this stage. And it's that way you want to be clear. So I think the important part here is that things can really go wrong. So if you want to be on the safe side, it's always better to think about pre-money uh, as, as a situation where you are in, because you might end up raising 100,000, 200,000, or anywhere in between at an early stage, or maybe half a million. 
And then like, it's a big difference if you're talking about 1 million in post and you're raising half a million. <laughs> right. Like if it's 1.5 posts, then it's like a third of the company, but otherwise it's like half of the company. So right. it's, yeah. So and it, it's, and it's if you're game. an employee and you've only ever gotten options, like to put that in perspective, your options are probably worth less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of the total company, oh, right? So we're talking times, yeah. just huge, huge portions of the equity in the company. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So to really understand what goes into a company's valuation, I'd really like to dig into your firsthand experience with Ironstar Helsinki. Uh, that was your first startup that I learned about uh, from your book, Long-Term Game. So yeah. as a first-time founder, where did the initial money for the studio come from? So yeah, this was 2005 and I'd saved up maybe 20,000 euros from like previous projects, consulting work. Uh, so I personally didn't have any problems for like going about a salary for a, for a long time even. Uh, I, I was hiring a group of students from a, a local game development school where I was doing some classes at. Uh, so there was programmers, artists. Uh, for the first few months, they were doing basically an internship in my company, but mm -hmm. I ended up picking sort of like the, the, the best out of that class uh, who ended up becoming like employees in my company. So I secured uh, this early funding, which was like a bank loan, which I personally covered. Uh, that allowed me to seek these kind of like government grants. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So in, in Finland, you have this sort of like you can raise like 50K and then the government will double that with grants that are free money. Uh, so uh, that's that scheme has been uh, out there. It, it was in 2005 and it still is being utilized. So I, I think that that was the first money that came in wasn't actually like investor money. So we didn't end up doing any uh, mm. giving up any equity. And that was that was 2006. And that cash lasted until the end of 2006. Yeah, that's just amazing. I mean, you really have no idea how jealous US-based developers are whenever we hear of government support like this uh, that helped you uh, bootstrap Ironstar or the Canada Media Fund that helps fund creative ventures like this. Like, There's nothing like that in the US. And w when we started Quarter Spiral, uh, two of the founders just burned their personal savings paying for the third. And, and yeah. like I've said, I, I really value that experience but it's a huge barrier to entry to the idea of ever starting a game company again to just say, yep. okay, if, if I want to be a founder again, I'm going to have to set my personal savings on fire uh, because yep. there's no government support and I'm not far enough along to raise funds, or maybe I'm not experienced enough or don't have the network. Um, so that's just, you know, it's the type of thing that makes us in the U S super jealous. Uh, mm. So you started as a bootstrap company in 2006 um, how long until you decide you need to raise money? And in total, how many rounds of investment uh, of fundraising did you do? Yeah, well, the first round was raised in early 2007 from a fund called uh, Vera Ventures. It's, it, was this, it doesn't exist anymore. It was a, a Finnish startup fund investing in these kind of early stage startups in, that were in pre-revenue stages. Um, this was back in the days when we didn't really have anybody investing in gaming. Mm -hmm. So right. you, you'd you have investors who were doing a lot of uh, B2B, uh, like enterprise investing. And then all of a sudden there's a games company <laughs> raising funding. Uh, right. So it's it's not that, like the, the the world today where you can go to a no. Play Ventures or, or Convoy or, or Griffin, no. any of the the funds that specialize in gaming entrepreneurship and are, are staffed by former game developers that can give you expert advice. If yeah. Well, it, there was a saying back in the day that investing into Finland was sort of like, like investing into, you know, the, the sort of like the, 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 the developing country sort of like, mm. the, like, like it, it was very exotic if you'd raised from outside of Finland. Uh, I, I think it started changing at that stage where basically the, the slosh conference started to become something and like VC started <laughs> visiting Finland. Slosh uh, is a great name for a conference about fundraising. <laughs> There's just a bunch of money sloshing around. Yeah, it, it was. A... 
That's true. Is that actually like uh, like waiting to see if they're gonna do it this year? Probably not. I think it's too too close to to like get everything together for for a conference in November. But yeah, going back to 2007. Uh, so that round that we raised from Vera Ventures was uh, 150,000 euros, uh, and we actually uh, did ac- uh, another raise from them a year later in 2008, which was yet another 150,000. So, and then going from there, we did another round in 2009, which was then a lot bigger, a half a million uh, euros round uh, from an investor called Open Ocean. Capital, which was just starting to operate, they're they're still around. Um, I think we were their first and last gaming investment, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the the kind of like that was two years before we closed down in 2011. Uh, after we basically didn't secure funding anymore to continue developing stuff. Right, got it. So you did three fundraising events. One, basically once a year for three years. And yeah. in those three events, you raised 800,000 euros and including your bootstrap capital and government grants, that's about uh, 920,000 euros overall in funds raised. So yeah. uh, obviously at the bootstrap stage, there's no need to value the company, but what were your valuations at each of those fundraising events? Yeah, the, the first round was at 1 million euros. Uh, and then the second one was at one point. Three five, I recall, and the final one was was at uh, three million. So it was like a there was a gradual kind of like increase in the valuation. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's um, I mean that must have felt pretty good, right? The first time you were able to say I started this company uh, with me and 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 some students, some interns, and and now it's yeah. worth one million euros. Yeah, that's true. It was like uh, it was sort of like unbelievable uh, because it it felt like this. Like, how can this even happen? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but like, uh, I often have sort of like said that celebrating fundraising isn't like a, a real moment to celebrate because you want to go after a product or whatnot. But like, mm-hmm. I think like in the last years, I've sort of like more and more come to the realization that founders should really celebrate right. all, every every event that, that is a positive event because, you know, this you need these positive moments and celebrating all these small wins really boosts the, the spirit to, to push forward. Yeah. Yeah. You should, you shouldn't uh, blow 10% of your fundraising round on a lavish party, but uh, you, you can at least pop a bottle of champagne or two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or go for beers and a sauna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 150,000 euros at a 1 million euro uh, post money valuation, I assume, uh, does yeah. that mean you sold your fifteen uh, percent of your stock to Vera Ventures in that initial fundraising round? Yeah, that's correct. So the, the those all of those were post money valuations. Yeah, got it. And then, it, it, am I doing it right that it was a little over eleven percent in the extension and sixteen and two thirds percent in that big five hundred thousand euro round? Um, yeah. That over the course of three rounds, did you end up selling 43% of the company to the investors or do you issue new stock with each one of these fundraising yeah. moments? Yeah. Yeah. So because you are actually doing new new stock, which is the, it's basically the standard that you always issue new stock. So mm. all the previous ownership uh, that was in the company at each of these rounds got diluted. So that means that even the investors who were on board got diluted from their shares that they own. So let's say that like there were 1 million company uh, shares at the stage of the first round. Mm-hmm. And then we created uh, 150,000 new shares, meaning that the, the total amount of shares went up to, to 1.15 million after the first fundraise. So if you sum that up sort of like in the subsequent rounds where you're adding more shares regarding the 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 amount that was raised and the valuation, like how many shares you need to create to achieve sort of like the ownership percentage, it adds up, adds up actually to 37%. Uh, so it's not 43. Not like there's there's also a, a possibility that a lot of people might think that like if you're always giving 20% to the investors, like after three rounds, will you own 60%? <laughs> no, it's actually closer to like 50. Uh, so oh, wow. yeah. Got it. 
So I, I, I understand it now. So each subsequent fundraising round, uh, you issue new shares. Uh, this yep. diluted the value of the previous share it issues, uh, issued. And, and I just assume that early stage investors, angel investors, uh, seed investors, they're all used to, they expect this type of dilution when they invest in companies. So um, when you were looking at these various offers, what considerations did you make when comparing valuation, fundraising amounts, dilution, uh, et cetera, that the VC, uh, about the VCs making offers? Yeah, this is actually a, like, I just realized that I never really thought about <laughs> like value. I didn't understand valuation. Like right. I, I didn't know pre-money, post-money. Nobody was telling me that those investors weren't telling me like, this, right. is, this is how this thing works. Um, so yeah, I had no clue, but like, I think the lesson here is that nowadays in 2021, there's so much information to just Google up stuff, yeah. uh, which wasn't like, well, it, it was so much more difficult to find sort of even content out there that was like, you know, <laughs> explaining startup fundraising to a four-year-old. <laughs> no, no right. it's, it's a lot more like uh, clear cut and, and the processes are sort of more, more transparent. So, and there's so much people talking about these things. So it's so much easier. Yeah. But, and yeah. that's, that's, that's why we're doing this episode, right? I mean, it's to yeah. help those future Joachims understand the process around valuation and make the most informed decisions possible. Um, yep. yeah. So your last fundraising event was in 2009. What, what ultimately became of Iron Star? Yeah. So in 2010, we were actually a profitable company. We're scaling nicely with our Facebook game called uh, Disco Empire. So if you go to YouTube, you can actually see some. This is how you hack Disco Empire videos. <laughs> <laughs> right. I um, remember people are, hacking our Facebook game. Yeah, they were catching sort of like the stream that was coming to the Flash uh, client and modifying some values. And, Rest yeah, in peace, but, Flash. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we had a MAU of like close to half a million. Um, all organics, basically. We did some like, you know, very unoptimized, unperforming uh, user acquisition uh, since we knew what we were doing. Um, but we were totally relying on the organics uh, mm-hmm. until face- Facebook decided to, to cut uh, all the, the viral traffic when they, they disabled the, the game uh, posts right. from showing up in the newsfeed. I, I think you remember those yeah. days. Very, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, you, you couldn't see your friends like requesting you to, to take care of their, you know, lost sheep uh, in Farmville anymore. Right. And uh, all, all the friend requests for games went into a hidden section under Facebook. And so what happened is our, our organic uh, new users, which were like tens of thousands per day, suddenly was at, at like 10 a day. Wow. Uh, so it's it, catastrophic. Like, it is like if you think about like if you look at like the fact is that there are actually a lot of games like let's say subway surfers probably became a big game because they they could utilize certain dynamics in the app store to gain a lot of free traffic so in a sense we were at that same stage of like free traffic yeah come on like if if the app store google play changed things in a way that discovery would be hidden under like few few steps uh, mm-hmm. versus like as it is nowadays like i, I think that uh, there would be a lot of smaller uh, viral hit games out there uh, that are sustaining through this viral sort of like traffic that they get mm-hmm. but like like what happened to us then was that like our cash position was really bad quickly uh, since we we weren't really like exactly retaining the players as well that God. well, I think the nobody was like seeing like high late game retention back in the days. So I, I think people started figuring that out finally on mobile. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, we we actually closed down the company in, in June 2011. Um, since we we ended up not being able to raise any more cash from investors, so it was a like a, a moment that that feels like yeah it's a we did a good run but it just didn't take us to the end and there was a lot of things that didn't go right <laughs> so yeah I, I, 
I, I remember what a big deal that was uh, while building Dragon Age Legends. I think we were in development when that newsfeed change came. My, my, my timeline's a little fuzzy in my head, um, but I think we launched after that. And we were really lucky. We had the brand name recognition of Dragon Age. We had a few other advantages like email lists and cross promotion from being at EA. But yeah. I, I look back at that with the knowledge I have now. I don't think we understood the CAC versus LTV equation enough to even, I, I don't recall doing test marketing to measure if we could scale profitably at that time. Yeah. It, it's yeah. entirely possible that Dragon Age Legends had everything it needed to scale, except the knowledge, right? We just didn't have the mature enough understanding of how to manufacture success. I, it's possible. I, I don't remember um, us doing that sort of test marketing. So, um, yeah. but like Disco Empire, our Dragon Age game ultimately got shut down. Yeah, so that, that was your first founding experience. Uh, what lessons did you learn about managing valuation that you wanted to apply when uh, you were a co-founder at Next Games? Yeah, so there's a few things there. Like first off, like you got to see both sides of the situation, like from the investor's perspective and your own as a founder. It's like then if you think about the investor's side, what is the risk that they are taking? So you got the model that in your head uh like what are they thinking about all these possibilities that could happen how much work will they need to put in into helping you as a company mm-hmm. uh so because there's also like there's a lot of competition out there for like the attention of these these investors so because uh, I, I i've seen like often founders are just raising so that they can get to work as soon as possible mm-hmm. sort of like a it's a like this kind of like necessary evil that you need to go and fundraise. But I, I think the, the, the smart founders and the, also the smart investors know that this, this is kind of like a partnership that both of, both of them will need to roll their leaves so like to make things work. So I'm, I'm kind of super happy with like how our original angel round for next games in 2013 came through as we really got these kind of right investors on board early on who, who were willing to, to do a lot of work on the company, you know, spend a lot of time with the founders uh, uh, in advising, in being on the board, uh, mm-hmm. and on the recruitment side. And, and also, like, I think one, one uh, even more important thing is that they can actually participate in the future rounds because right. it, like when you want to go to the next level or that you need an extension uh, to actually get to that next level, uh, then like if you have your existing investors backing you, uh, not only by rolling their sleeves, but also with their, you know, checkbooks, that's, that's really big. But like, if I look at it from the founder's side, I think you've got to think about all that road that is ahead of you. It's, it's never like, Hey, we're just gonna, you know, sell this company next year or something like that. That's mm-hmm. that happens like one in a million thing. Uh, like you shouldn't really like <laughs> like build uh, your your sort of like expectations on that uh, kind of like dream. More or less, think about it as a, like a five to seven year old year journey that's that's gonna happen even in even longer. So mm-hmm. if things go well, like you'll most likely end up doing at least two. Three or four founding right. like funding rounds. Uh, yeah, if you're Scopely, you you'll, of... you'll do eight or twelve. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, because <laughs> like I think Scopely understands that uh, they get a lot of leverage from what they're doing. With yeah, fundraising. So they, they don't need to I, go public. They can raise a giant war chest and 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 acquire new developers and keep just growing their uh, their revenue. It's incredible. Exactly, exactly, and like like. If like one thing that when you're thinking about dilution, uh, doing like, you know, your fifth fundraising round, oh, should I do it? I'm going to lose, you know, X percent again from what we own as founders, but more or less like focus on like your individual share price, how Mm -hmm. that goes up with each funding uh, moment and then calculate how actually, how many, how much is my ownership actually worth? on the share level uh, because right. that, that that sort of like mitigates the, the the fear of dilution of ownership like how many percentage um so like 
if you go back then to kind of like that uh, founder mentality there, mm-hmm. uh, like once you've done those fundraising, like when you get into that kind of like VC path, because in games, when you find a game that has positive unit economics, meaning like the, the CAC to LTV, uh, that you have a, a UA costs are, are lower, you can return what, what you spend on ads because players are spending the LTV is high enough. So you can start scaling the game and, and building this kind of multi-million dollar business pretty pretty easily. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen it close hand in Finland with a lot of startups, like Small Giant Games is one of recent big success stories where yeah. they basically la- launched... Uh, a puzzle RPG, which had really good CAC to LTV ratio. And yeah. what they did is just, you know. I, I'm not the only one on the legendary yeah. team who's uh, jealous <laughs> of what Puzzle and Empires did. Yeah, it's, like it's kind of like, you know, pedal to the metal with the, the UA spend and suddenly you have Zynga buying you for 800 million. But yeah. yeah, but yeah, like giving out this 20% to 25% each round, uh, will eventually take you below 50% because I think that was one of those concerns that I remember early in my career I was thinking mm-hmm. like, I'm going to lose control of the company, but right. the, the investors are sort of like in the same boat with you and everybody's sailing into the same direction. <laughs> most of the times uh, they just want what's best for the, the business. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. In, in success, everybody, all the investors and, and the, uh, 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 you know, heads of the company are all rowing the boat in the same direction. They all want the same thing. Yeah. And uh, a great partnership is kind of what leads to one of those great exits. Um, exactly. Yeah. So uh, now we know a little bit, uh, a lot actually about your experience with Iron Star, uh, the lessons you applied to your future invest uh, ventures. Let's, let's dig into the topic at hand. So imagine I'm a founder uh, I've been bootstrapping for a while and I've decided to go after venture capital, or maybe I've done a friends and family round or an angel round. Uh, maybe Joachim syndicate threw me some, some euros. And yeah. I think it's time for that next injection of capital. So a- as a founder, how do I know if the time is right to raise venture capital? Yeah. So there's, there's three things that matter for being ready for fundraising, especially for like, if let's just consider the venture capital a fundraise for a while here at, at, at any kind of stage. So first off, like, do you have an experienced team who's built something amazing in their career uh, and preferably together even that they work together previously? Like there's the, the recent example is, is uh, Dream Games from Istanbul who, mm-hmm. who were uh, like basically the whole team built some of the, the big games of peak games, uh, like, you know, um, Toy Blast and uh, Toon Blast. So, right, and, like, and they're killing uh, it with their new game, right? Yes. It, it's sort of that if an investor sees a team that knows how to work together and who've had and seen success, that's um, like the risks are pretty well mitigated there for sure on like, can they actually build games? But yeah, the, the second point would be, do you have any... KPIs from your game. So usually like looking at retention day one, day three, day one ratio, uh, but VCs who know gaming and who invest in this early stage, I think like if you don't have a dream games, kind of like three, <laughs> dream mm-hmm. team, uh, you'd want to have some numbers to show. Uh, that's what VCs are really appreciative of. Uh, you you can go into like uh, the UA metrics, like CPI monetization, mm-hmm. which is a big plus. But I, I'd say like retention numbers are already going to prove that you're doing something amazing if those numbers really hold and they're good. Uh, but then, then the third point is, uh, so are you doing something in a market that is that is unique and it's, it's kind of like an obvious founder idea fit that we talked about in a couple of episodes ago. Mm-hmm. So it's like the founder is going after something that they're really uh, specialized in, that they have they have some expertise, they have the knowledge, and they, they've sort of like, you know, uh, they have a plan that feels like a really solid one for this market. So this kind of model would be that the, the experienced gaming VC can evaluate these ideas and calculate all these odds of success. So 
if the risk is something that they're willing to take, they might end up taking a chance with like a team that doesn't, you know, have the dream team, doesn't have traction, but they're doing something very interesting in the market that not a lot of other people are doing, then they might write you a check as well. Like then, then going into the founder's perspective here, like if you, if you don't need cash, um, Mm. I I think it's always good to postpone uh, and wait for like better terms, because if you have uh, excellent numbers, if you're already doing some, you know, expansion with the game, you're launching new markets, you're bootstrapping, uh, your valuation will go up uh, constantly. And then that... the dilution, of course, like goes down as well. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of like, so if you, if you're not in a position where you need the cash, that that'll give you the confidence that you need, that you don't need to take terms you don't like. And, and uh, that it, it's kind of like that you'll hear a lot of anecdotes about actors going in. And when they're like, when they have the uh, feeling that it doesn't matter if they get the job or not, those are the auditions they get versus the ones where they're desperate for it. It kind of tanks their audition. It seems like a, a similar dynamic there. Exactly. Exactly. Thing. Got it. So um, how, uh, how should I prepare as a founder for the fundraising process? Yeah. So think about like few steps here. Like first off, uh, you want to understand if you are ready for a fundraise. Like take it seriously since it's 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 a big project actually to to go and fundraise. So you're going to be spending a lot of time talking to a lot of people. Um, but like, to be to be honest, I I think most of the work should happen already before you meet investors because. Uh, what I usually think about is like a lot of people go out and they're raising uh, and then they start figuring out what, what investors are saying and they're mm-hmm. already trying to sell this idea, but rather like do a lot of work before the fundraising process kicks into to talking to investors. Like you could like more like analyze what are the investors looking for? I think like they're thinking about like maybe going six months before the first investor meeting you, you say to yourself, like, what is an, an amazing story that I could tell to the investors like six months from now? Mm-hmm. And like, okay, there's, there's like uh, one story could be that our game is actually growing uh, by trend 10% every week. Like there's this essay from uh, Paul Graham, who's the, the founder of Y Combinator called Growth, mm-hmm. where he talks about uh, the growth of a startup, like this kind of like, for a game, it could be like a DAU growth um, or or some other metric like uh, like net revenue or like ROAS or whatnot. But you're you're showing kind of like growth value. Like okay, you have a certain amount of growth. Maybe six percent is great. Eight percent is world class, and then you have an outrageous growth of ten percent. Um, so I think the valuation ties back to this really nicely. So if you if you're not ready to raise, uh, no ma- valuation will actually matter mm-hmm. uh, because like if you go for like, okay, we just need the money, any valuation will do, that's going to hurt you a lot. Uh, and then you need to raise kind of like quicker and it's uh, it build out uh, a company that can survive without the money for a while. But once, once you've done the sort of the planning and building the story into place, then it's better to go to the VC path. Um, so it, it, like if you are planning to go and raise, uh, you want to understand what is really something that the, the best gaming VCs are looking mm-hmm. for. What is sort of like the package of team, idea, market, the execution phase that you need to be in, and it's all the risks that, they, that the investors usually shy away from and these unknowns that they're not willing to tolerate. Right. So you need yeah, to start thinking like that. Yeah. Platform, right? Like I remember we talked about how you'll get approached uh, by somebody and 10 minutes into the meeting, they'll say that they're making a premium PC game. You're like, yeah. I don't invest in PC games. You know, they, they yeah. should have done their homework six months ago to know that uh, uh, only certain type of people are investing in that type of market. And it's, it's a, uh, uh, you know, they shouldn't have even uh, asked for your time necessarily. Yeah. 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 There's, um, there's, there's 
areas where like these kind of like specialized investors are investing. So then Mm -hmm. if you're kind of like starting to reach out to investors, it's good to look at what other companies they're invested already into to get sort of like, if they're not saying specifically that we do only free to play, you can already see in, in their website, what companies they've invested into and look at the sort of like, so what, what's common between all of these companies. (laughs) But yeah, like, um, I think like it might sound a bit weird, uh, but like I think the best gaming VCs are actually quite good at understanding these risks and making a case for something that has a higher likelihood for actually succeeding. Um, since they spend it spend their time every day just you know seeing a lot of things, uh, working, not working, uh, like being involved with so many companies at the same time uh like running a lot of a b tests yeah <laughs> if you'd say and, um, and this so this podcast um, is definitely a good resource since you're pretty much interviewing a different gaming vc on a weekly basis there's so much education to to get just from going back to the previous episodes yeah yeah it it is like do your homework on this stuff and it's it's going to really pay off if you think that yeah you're going to do a, a fundraise at some point so like learn from these VCs because they that knowledge will de-risk the company for the VCs for you. Got it. So let, let's say we've met a couple times. I've sold you on my vision and, and you want to invest in my company. Maybe you want the Joachim Syndicate to be the lead investor in an angel round. Um, so we're at that stage. How do we go about determining what uh, you think is the fair market value for my company? What what are the factors you consider? That's a really good question, and it's a tough one actually because like there is like a it, you could think about like what is happening in the market, how because it's it's a market of startups uh, mm-hmm. and investors are looking at uh, these companies and there's a there are certain deals have that have happened recently, and all of those deals have a kind of like a how much money was put in, how much ownership, um, and how much valuation was in play. So uh, it's kind of like also that's where the fairness comes in into here because you're 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 sort of like you have a lot of like these kind of cases happening all over the place. Like these guys raised half a million. Okay, these guys raised one million because they were so much ahead. Maybe they had yeah. they had stellar metrics. They could raise one million. Maybe these guys already have a lot of revenue. They raised 2.5 million. Uh, I saw and, uh, one of my former yeah. colleagues, Takeshi, is part of uh, the founding team on Playco, and they went out of the gate with a hundred yeah. million dollar fundraise, and it was like, yeah. "Holy yeah. cow, that's yeah, amazing!" That's, yeah, that's that's a totally different case where that's the I super rock star no founding team. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. It's it's sort of like you had to be on board of that, and uh, the founders right. could say what they want. So, but yeah, like going back to fairness here. Uh, like the, the fair market value at this early stage where you don't have like revenues, you don't even have these retention numbers. It really depends so much on the team. So then you're going to be looking at like, is this a really solid team? Like that there's, there's really like these kind of like, not, uh, maybe even rockstar founders, kind of like people who know what they're doing. Um, and then are these founders already serial entrepreneurs that they've done companies before mm-hmm. uh, are they people who know how to set up studios like build businesses right um like those those factors then go into play on like determining evaluation as well so it could be like pre pre retention number pre revenue you might be raising anywhere between 100,000 to to a few million uh and then the valuation is kind of like always this like 20% um, from a full round, so the valuation would go from maybe seven hundred fifty thousand to even twenty million. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a big ballpark. Like in Finland, we see a lot of these early stage deals happening at the valuation of one million to maybe three million. That like the Finnish version. It's very much a geographical thing. Right, and just uh, you know, the company I work for. I, this made me think about like network. Uh, whose founding team had run studios at EA, 
uh, run independent studios, done critical research at Sony, had NG yeah. Moco and a big exit there. Like they, that type of team um, of serial entrepreneurs with success and experience uh, can get a lot different valuation off of just a deck than say um, uh, a bunch of students who've launched something on Roblox that's taken off, but they've never run a company before. They've never been professionals before. They've never run a studio that, you know, rockstar team with a deck might get a much higher fundraise and, and valuation than like fledgling team with some promising numbers. It's just, it's uh, a lot of things go into your, your fair market value as you've explained here. Yeah, um, I, it is. It is sort of like the VC is looking at the likelihood of this becoming a, a big thing. <laughs> like, right. uh, so a lot of things go into play. That's how it goes. Yeah. I, I know from our previous conversations that when we're talking about angel round, people might be raising on a deck and not even have a tech demo or prototype. So uh, the quality of the team is as important, if not more important than determining if you'll make an investment in the company. And not only is that experience critical to getting someone to commit to you, uh, but it also, like we said, in- increased the fair market value of your company. So, you know, to go back to that first episode we did together, the Ethan of today, who's got Tetris and Legendary under his belt as, as being kind of a, a key team member on those success stories, uh, is a much more valuable co-founder than the Ethan of Quarter Spiral from 10 years ago that had, you know, decent industry experience, but no real hits to commit to. Um, other, other than team quality and experience, what other factors go into determining the valuation? Yeah. Let, let's talk a bit about the metrics. I think that's always, uh, mm-hmm. it's sort of like key. yeah, it's, it's, the kind of the least elusive of all of these because, you know, day one, uh, there's in, especially mobile, it's so, so clear what is a good, great, uh, a meh and a really like bad day right. one which won't because uh, it's pretty pretty standardized so if you hit like uh clearly above 50 percent day one like you're gonna get like people interested if you go closer to 60 percent everybody wants in yeah. uh, that, that's that's how it goes so the gaming vcs know that getting a game that retains players well is the best indicator that there is really for some kind of future success and then like then talking about another factor, which which I already touched uh, a bit on, is the geographics, uh, because mostly of the salaries, like in Europe, uh, you'll end up raising probably at like 70, 80 percent lower valuations compared to mm. the U.S. just because of like the cost of like your employees, your staff. So uh, I remember after I left Supercell, this was like probably early late 2013 early 2014 a vc was telling me that there's actually now there was something called the helsinki premium Mm. uh for seed deals in in helsinki uh which had sort of like you know you could add a million into your like post money valuation just because you're located in helsinki uh i don't think that like that was like when softbank had just bought supercell it was really heating up as well at that stage so i think the the rule definitely doesn't apply that well anymore because like we've seen that great teams can come from anywhere so i think a little bit similar vibe is going on in istanbul uh, since mm-hmm. the peak and the other uh, rolic and the other teams that have been acquired there is really uh, heated up that that space as well but like the i think eastern europe as well is getting better but the, the valuation there are a lot lower. Uh, like the local investors who are sort of like doing these kind of like sweet deals there, like because mm-hmm. there's no venture capital there. Um, so all the VC, uh, VCs are, are still like waiting for that area to develop more. But I think it's it's going to improve because the developers themselves are getting smarter and they're, they're you know, setting up their entities in different countries like the UK, for instance. And then it's a lot easier for for a VC to invest if if you're not dealing with sort of like unknown um, like legislation in a certain country like U- mm-hmm. UK is pretty stable for for setting up so that, that's that's becoming even more popular for devs in in these kind of developing markets but yeah like 
yeah, long-term strategy, like getting a quick MVP out to measure CPI engagement metrics. I think those those are the the, the second big things out there for for developers to raise. Got it. So you know, pedigree matters, uh, location matters, proof of traction matters a lot. I, I imagine yeah. that can be a big difference uh, between a one million euro valuation and a five or ten million euro valuation. Yeah, it's only like the like matter of how long you you want to go without raising really again mm-hmm. to get that traction and then start raising like in like I was talking about earlier about the the grants that we have fin- in Finland you could just raise a, a small 50k angel round and then get a non-dilutive grant from the the government to double that and you could have a like right a I hear a lot of US entrepreneurs yeah. uh, uh filing for their uh, Finnish passports right now. Yeah, <laughs> we have this. We have this thing in Finland. Actually, it's ninety days. Uh, uh-huh. You know, we pay pay everything like flights and hotels. What? Few, few people come. Yeah, there is this thing. Yeah, I think uh, Mishka Katkov was the the per, the spokesperson for that ad a while ago. Right. Uh, I think you can find it somewhere. I'll I'll share the link in the show notes uh, for this episode for that. Suddenly this is going to become an episode about the Finnish state's generous welfare state and uh, parental leave and childcare policies. Yep, exactly. Brilliant. (laughs) But like, like if you go on a tight budget, you could do a lot Mm -hmm. in a year with a hundred K, especially in Finland. Uh, So a lot of quick prototyping, soft launching of earlier, like very early builds. So I've seen that model become really popular and there's a few companies that have already done that, like, you know, 10, like hundred K to, you know, find a game and then they found a game and then they have raised VC uh, money and it's it. working perfectly. Yeah. So uh, let's say uh, uh, we've, we've had our series of meetings. You're sold on my team and my vision. You've decided to invest. Um, how does valuation come up? Like, what does that conversation look like? Is it driven by the founder or the investor? You know, what, what's, yeah. that, what's that look like? Yeah, I guess that's the, the big question. Like, how does it really come up? Uh, I, I have an idea which sort of like have, I've heard other people, you know, think about as well. And I'm, I'm not pushing founders to give me a valuation, but the investor might ask like, so what, what kind of valuation are you thinking about here? Or what is the, the dilution you're sort of like, you know, comfortable with? So that, that question uh, can come up really early, uh, mm-hmm. but the, the, the founder should, I, I, I really suggest that you never put the valuation into a pitch deck. It could be something that you discuss. So, and you shouldn't bring it up. It should be something that, Okay, if, if the investor asks, you could you could just point out that yeah, let's. I, I think the market will sort of decide for us, like because uh, there's there's deals. The investor knows all the numbers. They know what the deals are looking like. So mm-hmm. they they should be the people who will say that hey, this this feels fair for us. So like of course the founder may, might be anxious that oh no, if I don't you know give all of the reveal all my cards the the investor right. won't like us it's, it's so the, i shouldn't i shouldn't be sending out decks that have a final slide we're looking at a hundred thousand euro raise at a two million post valuation but you need to be prepared to talk about it you need to know yeah. uh, what you need and what you think you're worth yeah i, I think you can say what you're looking for because i think that like the we're raising 150k or 50k to to get the government grant in Finland, or you're raising half a million or a million. But like, don't reveal your thoughts around valuation yet, because a lot of well, there are certain investors out there who might take advantage of your your you know mm. not understanding what's going on, and they might you know uh, think selfishly and opportunistically as well uh, in this situation. So I, I'd really like to be cautious about pointing out what is your valuation. Um, Got it. It, it, should be, it. It should be based on a fair market value always. Right. And, and once this process is complete, uh, right, I've raised my 100,000 euros. I've uh, popped my sensible three bottles of champagne and eaten burgers with my co-founders. 
Um, yeah. How soon do I, as the co-founder or CEO, start the process on the next fundraising round, right? Your, your yeah. Iron Star rounds uh, were spaced out about a year apart. Is it like raise money, heads down, raise money? Or is it raise money, celebrate for a minute, and then start raising yeah. money again? Uh, I imagine, it, like you said, it's a marathon and maybe it's marathon after marathon after marathon that you can't just snap your fingers and, and make a couple million euros appear in your bank account. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit different. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say like, if you're working on a fundraise now, it's great mm -hmm. to actually like, you know, realize the fact that you're going to be doing another round soon. Like, even well, 12 months, like it might feel like, you know, you're still here trying to get the cash <laughs> right. and then you need to already think about the next round. But it, it is like you're on a VC path, which right. means that you're now raising money to go to another level, which means that then at the next stage, you, you want to graduate again to another level and another. Mm -hmm. uh, and funding is always meant for growth. Uh, so I think... Because if you get into the state of mind, you can also start talking about this growth kind of like as a language for yourself. Mm -hmm. And you're more aligned on how VCs see these companies growing. Um, so they like you won't raise one round and then you're done. That right. like most likely won't happen. So it's always like these three to four rounds before a company doesn't need money anymore. And these exceptions can course happen you could come up with the next clash of clans and not need to raise again but that's very unlikely yeah. it's it's rather like you're going to be on the path to raising a bigger and a bigger round right so a really prepared entrepreneur when they're raising their seed round they already know or have sketched out in their head uh, 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 what their growth story is for their series a round and their series b round because the experienced or prepared entrepreneur will know that it's kind of round after round, growth after growth. Once you get on this treadmill, you're you're on it. Yeah, There's no yeah, turning exactly. a VC company into a lifestyle. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky. Yeah. And okay, one one last uh, question on valuation. Uh, I'm a big economics geek. You know that makes sense. I'm I'm a game developer who specializes in monetization and in-game economies. So. Um, when, whenever I'm listening to economics or startup related podcasts right now, there's a sentiment and there has been for a while that the overall market for money is very frothy for right now, that there's yeah. a lot of money sitting on the sidelines looking for something to invest into. There are a lot of valuations uh, either for private companies or you know market caps for public companies uh, or values for SPACs that are just perceived as too high for the uh, actual worth of the underlying company. Uh, there's a lot of mention of money being very cheap, very available. Uh, on the investment side, are there any trends you're seeing in the early stage market where you think this, this market is way too frothy, uh, this valuation is way too high or the like? I mean, I know you mentioned seeing some of that frothiness, some of that uh, Istanbul premium out in Turkey. Uh, yeah. are, are there, what other observations do you have about the general... Uh, early stage gaming startup market right now? Yeah, I think the, the whole gaming market is really heated up. Um, mm -hmm. All these IPOs. Um, it's a like a new billion dollar SPAC every week. Yep, exactly. It's uh, There's a lot of interesting stories going around. And, uh, and, and you also see like the blockchain things like these NFTs coming up like big time. Yeah, and there's you'll, a lot of... I've got yeah. a blog post on NFTs coming out soon, and I think it'll Good probably man. be the first of many. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah share that on the newsletter for sure. That's gonna be interesting. Um, there's yeah, there's so much money trying to get into gaming, and I think like then you have a lot of talented teams. Like uh, like in the US, you have all those X Riot teams starting mm -hmm. companies, and investors are paying you know, the, the big valuations at seed, like Series A uh, prices. Mm -hmm. uh, these teams are, you know, very early with their ideas, but like 10 million valuation is like a cheap valuation uh, mm -hmm. for a good team. Uh, so I think lots of investors have funded, for instance, these ex-Riot companies, and then the companies could spend that maybe 5 to 10 million that they raised and they need more. But the risks are still the same for the investors if, if they haven't really passed 
the traction sort of like mm-hmm. uh, point. And uh, I've been passing a lot of these heated up market deals that come up. So mm-hmm. I'm as an angel investor, I'm I'm looking at those early studios that are sort of like uh, heads down, thinking about like what's going on. That nothing has really changed because of the heating up of the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are like mobile studios. If if I think about like if there is traction and like good retention numbers, like a 10 million valuation is totally fine. Uh, so yeah, if you have solid metrics, I think that justifies uh, a big valuation in any day. Got it. So again and again, the message is team, strength of team, uh, and early traction. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your time and letting me kind of take over the host, Mike. And as I've said, you know, early stage valuation isn't something I have any firsthand experience with, you know, I help evaluate games investment from the publisher perspective with the network scale platform, but we're not, we're looking for similar things, right? Team pedigree, fun factor, room for scalable growth. Um, But I, on like the game evaluation side, I'm not looking at having any conversations about company value, right? My tiny piece of the NSP pie is just like, is the game fun? Does it have depth? Uh, do I believe it can grow with UA investment? So this has been a, a really incredible conversation. And, and again, I wish I had had it before 10 years ago, before I ever thought about co-founding a games company. I really know uh, so much more now about what matters to investors and how a co-founder should think about fundraising for their business than I did just an hour ago. So thank you for sharing. Great thing, man. Yeah, this was really good. Yeah. And okay. Uh, kind of a prank on you since I'm turning, since I took over the hosting mic, I have to ask you the three closing questions. Uh, so what is your favorite book or a recent favorite book? Yeah, man. Uh, all time favorite, I think is poor Charlie's Almanac, which is the, the book of oh, wow. um, uh, Charlie Munger's uh, sort of the collection of what he's sort of like <laughs> taught. Right. Taught you, and you and I share that uh, 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 kind of, enjoyment of the charlie munger and and uh warren buffett writings and and philosophy yeah because it's it's sort of like they they're not like going after heated markets like Mm -hmm. i'm not doing that either so i I think it's a it's also this kind of like cultural like approach to life and and work uh, that i i think is really close to what they're doing personally to me as well that like you know it's like the they're also playing this kind of long-term game if you look at there's a like if you look at like Berkshire Hathaway's uh, like on a Monday morning, how, how the, the course develop, like the, the, the share price develops. And then if, if you look at like the last 20 years, like what it looks like, the, the, the kind of like the growth, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're not playing, you know, on what happens in one week. They're playing right. with like decades. So I yeah, also, they don't even care about quarters. You know, right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that mentality like what they talk about it's just not only about investing but like everything related to life and work where they're really doing good stuff uh, yeah so i i that was the the all-time book but if i, if I think about the recent books i think i i really love to think about better systems uh so mm-hmm. I, I think atomic habits from james clear that i read last year is probably one of the best best books on thinking about better systems for making decisions, uh, improving things also on the long run, like making small changes to habits, like, you know, after each podcast, uh, spending time to think about like, how, how can I improve the podcast by 1% the next mm-hmm. time I do it? So the compounding effects of, of doing good stuff, yeah. like really like resonated. So that, uh- that, Atomic Habits is a really good one. Got it. And and what is a story that influences how you work? Yeah, now, like thinking about nowadays, uh, I think that was when I left Supercell. So I was I was sort of like spending time doing a bit of consulting before we started Next Games. And I was listening. I basically, <laughs> like, that's when I learned podcasts. Uh, I was listening to Pat Flynn, who's uh, this kind of like, entrepreneur guy who has this uh, this passive income podcast smart mm-hmm. passive income is what it's called so I, I that was the first time I listened to him and I realized that man this podcasting is really uh, a great way to share knowledge uh, and it, it's sort of like it took 
like how many years, seven years before I started my own podcast, but it was always like resonating in my, my head mm-hmm. that like this podcasting model is something I want to do one day. Uh, so I haven't shared that to anybody. So this is the first, first time I'm talking about that, but like Got it was it. always in my head that I'm going to do it one day. So right. yeah, maybe it just rolled one. around and, and rolled around. And, and eventually what, what was, uh, what pushed you over the edge and made you record your first podcast? I, I was leaving next game so it was like a perfect time to try it out like a long time sort of like ambition and the 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 final closing question how can people reach you yeah linkedin is pretty crazy nowadays Uh, it's a (laughs) nice place it's actually a really good uh place to to contact me i i try to to sort of like spend 10 minutes uh, every morning and every afternoon to go through the messages um, move over sort of like things to email as much as I can. Um, so LinkedIn for sure. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much again for giving me the hosting mic and for sharing your knowledge and ed- educating me and the listeners. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks again, Ethan. It was really great to talk to you about this topic. And uh, I hope the listeners learned a lot of stuff from here. So yeah, I, we, I think we can end it here. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Take care, Ethan. Uh, yeah. Speak soon again. Thanks, Bye. man. Bye-bye. Thanks again, Ethan, for coming on the show. If you like our content, please hit follow or subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available. And in the meantime, please go and check out our website at EliteGameDevelopers.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter on what's happening in gaming startups. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye.